Levo to the right hand, puts her down. He's going to dump him hard to the ice. Brady Levo just loves to fight. Ladies and gentlemen. My dream of being a professional hockey player became a reality, but it was all taken away from me in a very short period of time. For many years, hockey was my outlet. Hockey was my drug. When I had a stick in my hand, nothing else mattered. I was able to break into the Western Hockey League in 2004, and I even won the Swift Current Broncos Rookie of the Year. During the summer of my rookie year, I experimented with drugs for the first time. After just seven games in my sophomore season, I walked away from the Swift Current Broncos due to personal reasons. Nobody knew I had been sexually abused at the age of five. I did everything to hide it from everybody, but I just couldn't take it. Drugs and alcohol now took over my life. I did return to the Swift Current Broncos as a 19-year-old, but things were never the same. I was eventually traded to the Kelowna Rockets in my final year of junior where I got to play on a line with the Dallas Stars captain, Jamie Benn, and one of my best friends, the extremely talented Colin Long. It was by far my best season ever, and I even signed with the Tampa Bay Lightning's organization. A dream come true, right? That's when everything went wrong. First it was the cocaine, then came the Oxycontin, and that led me into a 12-year journey into the deepest pits of hell. Within two years, I had now made the switch to heroin, fentanyl, and everything in between, and I was now an intravenous drug user. Multiple suicide attempts and over five trips to the psych ward, I was a shadow of who I once was. By 2014, I was homeless on Hastings in Vancouver, the worst street in North America. By 2015, I was a wanted criminal, making the Crime Stopper headlines more than once. After spending three years in jail, I had completely given up. With nowhere to turn and nowhere to go, I finally started to get honest. I took a chance and made some major changes. This is my story. I overdosed over 10 times. I'm one of the lucky ones. And for that, I will always be grateful. This is for all the men and women we've lost. Matthew Wazinski, Mitch Fadden, this one's for you. My name's Brady Liebold, and I've been to hell and back. This is the road to recovery. What is going on? Welcome. Hockey to Hell and Back, episode number 127. Welcome back. That's what they used to say to me every time I'd relapse. Welcome back. That's not the case here. We just had to take some time to dive into some other things this summer. But I am very, very grateful to be back sitting in this chair. This is where it all started, right here. I took a chance, started a podcast and started sharing my story. And let me tell you, I've worked my ass off, but the rest is history. If you're new to the show, welcome. Um, we're going to get right into it here. There's not 
there is a lot that I want to catch up on, but we don't have a lot of time off off the top. I'm probably going to take an uh, like a whole episode to maybe do um, a, like a quick recap of the summer and kind of the things that have transpired. Uh, I've had a baby since the last podcast. We welcome Bowen Scott Lebel to the world. She's actually upstairs holding back tears. Um, just uh, endless gifts of recovery. But let me tell you, the struggle is is still real. And I'm just like everybody else. And, you know, I have my my hard days and, and some days that are maybe easier. I don't really like to say good or bad, um, but it's been it's been a journey and i just want to say thank you to everyone who's supported me on this show i i know i say this every episode but it's been four months and i'm going to continue saying thank you because without your support especially early on a lot of you uh, who have been with me for almost four years now wow it's insane to think that it's been almost four years but uh, i'm telling you all of you that have been with me on this show have played an instrumental part in helping me find my way and giving me support and love and grace while I've tried to piece my life together from literally the ground up. So maybe at the end of the show, we can, we can talk a little bit about some of the things that have happened because I had a really cool summer on the ice with Muskoka hockey and, and a lot of the, the guys that are, that are playing right now in the NHL that I'm sure some of you guys are probably watching on another screen. That's completely fine. I almost want to be doing it too. I'm so invested into hockey these days. And let me tell you, it just feels so good to be back in the hockey community. And like through those years of struggle, I always say I never in a million years thought that I would be part of it again in any way. And to be on the ice uh, with pros and and youth and being able to travel around and share my story, it's been, it's been really cool, but I never forget where it started and it started right here. So um, thank you. And we'll chat more about that at the end of the show, but without further ado, let's, uh, let's get to the reason why probably most of you are here. Um, I'm, I'm super grateful. We had a little bit of a chat. That's why we were maybe five minutes late starting tonight because me and Steven were, we're chatting, uh, just kind of in the green room, they call it. Um, and just like a lot of the same kind of ideas and, and mindset. And I'm really excited to, to having this chat because we haven't chatted before tonight other than on social media. And um, if history tells me anything, it tells me that's going to be a great episode. I love getting in here and just firing away and getting to know somebody as the episode goes on. So without further ado, let's bring them in. The guy, Stephen Alexi. Thank you very much for having me. It uh, it is an honor after your break to to be on this uh, on this podcast. And I can tell you one thing right now: I'm not a very emotional guy, but listening to that intro that got me going. So I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, man, thank you. I, I greatly appreciate that, and I greatly appreciate you taking the time. Um, you know, I've realized as I've gotten older, and I think maybe a lot of people can relate to this, is that. You find out pretty quickly that time is our most valuable resource, if you will, and, and we don't have infinite time and there's never enough time in the day or the week or the year. And so I'm always very, very grateful for, for when somebody gives me their time and um, we're, we're very lucky to have you here and get to get to know a little bit more about you and your, your life in, in hockey and after hockey and, and all the places that it's taken you and what it took to get there. Uh, I think most people know that that you played in the NHL, you played pro hockey for many, many years. Your journey is uh, 
different than than a lot of a lot of guys you you really 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 worked and you know i just before we get started i I just have so much admiration for that because you weren't drafted and it wasn't just hey you're drafted at a junior come slot in and you get an opportunity right away you literally had to work for everything that you got and you should be very proud of your accomplishments my friend well thank you very much and and you know i will say this right now after getting to know you through, I know you introduced it, our Instagram chats and following you from afar. Uh, I think one of the most important things as an athlete or a person in general is is your environment and, and the people you surround yourself with. And I think that's a, a major part and a major reason why we aligned and why I'm excited to kind of dive into my story here. Because, you know, for for the one percenters, 99% of us can't relate to those guys. And, you know, we're not Sidney Crosby or Sam Gagne, but uh we, we do have a story to tell, and I'm excited to share it here today with everybody listening. That's awesome. And, and you mentioned it, and I don't know if you're, you want me to say this or not, but you did mention to me before we came on here that you don't just share your story with, with anybody, and you've been very careful. And so uh, I've, I very much appreciate that and that you, you trust this platform and myself to kind of navigate and help you tell that story. And I'm really excited to hear it and you know, I kind of sent you a message earlier and said, my plan is for you to talk. It makes my job uh, very easy, but I would love to to hear your story and to tell it as, as much or as little detail as you feel comfortable to tell it. Um, maybe you can just let everybody know like where, where it all started for you, because this is all centralized around hockey. There's way more to life and way more about you than just hockey, but I'm sure early on, that's where your life was centralized around. Yeah. Early on in, in, you know, I appreciate you acknowledging that because I do protect my story and I try to align with people that share the same values in this sport that I do and uh, spreading a positive message. And, and I think once again, I think that's what you have done. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people that look up to you for sharing that positive message. And there's a lot of people that uh, should really kind of focus in on that. You know, there's a lot of negativity in this sport. We all face it at, at every level uh, from youth hockey on up. And, for me, I think that was one of the reasons that allowed me to have success is, you know, I I kind of ignored the pressures that are placed on kids and parents these days. Uh, and I played for fun. Um, if my whole backstory were getting into it, I had a brother who played, I had a father who played, not at a serious level. Um, and, you know, I come from a very blue collar family where, you know, we are strictly, um, you know, everything we do is based on hard work. And, and, and that was instilled by us, you know, from my father who has been an electrician for 40 plus years. Um, and I just kind of translated that to, to my hockey career. So growing up, I only played double A hockey, uh, was a two sport athlete my entire life, which you can talk about this in depth too. Now the culture is created where hockey is a 12 month sport and it's, you know, and, and that puts a lot of pressure on, on parents and, and kids alike. Um, you know, when that's all they do and they've invested so much into one sport, uh, it's, it's stressful. But for me, I always, I, I always had balance in life. Um, you know, I never took hockey too serious. I played two sports uh, and ultimately it led me to, I played double A hockey. I took a baseball scholarship out of high school. So I played a year of college baseball. Um, and I was, I was a much more successful baseball player at, at a younger age than I was a hockey player. Uh, ultimately I played a year of college hockey and that wasn't what I wanted to do. Uh, so I took a chance and I went back and I ended up playing one year in the North American league. Uh, I had a couple coaches who believed in me and, and, and presented me with an offer. And I fell in love with the city of, of Traverse city. Um, 
and went there for probably at that time all the wrong reasons. But uh, I went there with a clear head and, uh, you know, was focused on hockey and, and, and gave it my best shot for one year and ended up going on and moving on to Lake Superior State for three years. Um, and, and the reason I was there for three years was college baseball started my clock. So you get five years of, of college or five years of college to play four years of a sport. So once you start that clock, it never stops. So graduated in three years. And I'll be honest with everybody on this podcast, the, the, my three years of college were the most challenging three years of my hockey career and in probably life. And, um, when, when you speak about college and college hockey, and I know everybody has the, the best times of their life and college friends, and it was almost complete opposite for me. Uh, you know, I, I went in as uh, two weeks before school, there was a defenseman who decided not to come back and, and they reached out to me who had no other options. And, you know, they, they extended an offer to me, which I accepted at the time it was at Lake Superior State, which was the CCHA. Um, so I kind of came in there not knowing anybody or anything about the whole situation. And, and I was almost an outsider for, for three years. And I didn't want that to be the last hockey experience. Um, so I said, listen, I don't know anything about pro hockey, but I'm going to give this a whirl and uh, ended up playing a couple games in Vegas. And the next year I got cut three times. Um, I got cut from the East Coast League. I went down to a league that is no longer around. It was called the new IHL at the time. And I'm sure we'll get a little bit deeper into that league as the conversation moves forward. Uh, and then once again, a, a buddy, you know, came home for Christmas break. He saw me, uh, I think he saw me playing in the new IHL in the first five minutes. I, I think I got hit from behind. I hit a guy from behind. I fought, you know, I, I think I, at that time at that fight, I took eight or 10 stitches in the eye and it looked like, uh, a, a mop closet, the guy's sewing me up and it, I came out and it was all zigzagged up and he goes, we have to get you out of here um, and talk to his coach and got me out to Idaho and kind of all over the place from there on out. But uh, it definitely didn't come easy. And, and, you know, I've seen it all the way uh, from bottom to top and ended up going out to Boise and, and spent parts of three seasons there. And, and, and fortunately for me, we touched on it a little bit earlier in this conversation. When you talk about your environment, it can either make or break you. I had a, a captain out there uh, who to, to this day is is the, the best leader I've ever been around next to probably Sid. Um, you know, I, I, th I always tell him he was Sidney Crosby before Sidney Crosby because he's a little bit older and obviously a different level of hockey, but uh, really showed me what it was like to be a professional on and off the ice. And, and okay, can we person. plug him in or no? Can we? Yeah, plug yeah, Marty Flickle. Marty Flickle, Flickle. I knew you were going to say that when you yeah. said Idaho. I never got to play with him, but let me tell you, I, I battled, I battled him in the coast too, and I knew that's who you were talking about. Sorry, keep going. I had to. No, no. Let's. I mean, let's let's expand on Marty Flickle. The fact that you knew him, uh, and we're still very, very close to this day, and. Um, you know, to go off a little bit, you know, we can get back to my story. It's always hard for me to talk about myself. So we'll talk about Marty a little bit. Um, you know, what he brought to me as a first year guy, uh, hockey's gone away from that. I'll, I'll be honest with you. You know, I just fully retired last year in, in, in the hockey, the culture of hockey has completely changed where they're letting the young guys kind of steer the ship now. And, and I think that's created a lot of problems for a lot of young guys with in, entitlement and just not having that structure and that in that learning development um, that comes with having a guy who's been around and, and seen a lot of stuff. And so now you're getting the 22, 23 year old who think, 
you know, A, they think they're owed everything, but B, they think they have it all figured out, which couldn't be further from the case. Uh, You know, so I talk about Marty all the time and he, he taught me everything, you know, what it was like to be a pro. There's no way I have the success in my career if it wasn't for a guy like Marty Flickle early on in my career too. Uh, because once it goes two or three years, now you've already developed your habits and it's hard to break those. Um, and just doing the right things for the right reasons. And, and he taught me that on and off the ice. And, and we still talk uh, very, very often. And, and, and I'm forever thankful for him. Um, so I'm glad that you asked me to plug him and, and talk about him a little bit because it's, uh, it's, it's guys like that, you know, although it's the East Coast level, they are crucial, crucial, crucial to the people we become more than the hockey player. And, yeah. and um, that's always been the most important thing for me as well is, is what kind of person they are and what kind of person he was um, really translated to, to success on and off the ice and, and more off the ice. So forever thankful for him and guys like him at the East Coast level don't get the, the praise or the publicity that, you know, guys at the NHL level get. And, and you know, they're doing things you know, probably 10 times better than, than the guys at the NHL level. They just get, you know, overlooked at, at the lower levels. So yeah, that's, that's great. Thanks for, thanks for sharing that. That's cool. Right. And and that just goes to show you too, right? Like not too often would something like that get talked about. And it's, it's awesome to hear that and to hear that name again, man, he was, he was a good player too. Don't kid yourself. He was a good hockey player. He, he is a great player and I'm going to bring him up again. Uh, as we move through my story, um, you know, I, my retirement story, uh, has a lot to do with Marty Flickle as well. So, um, you know, going back to, to my career, I had a, a guy like that my first year who showed me, taught me what it was like to be a pro, um, you know, in, in, in the day-to-day operation on and off the ice and how important off the ice was, was something that he stressed, you know, and he stood up for the right things and uh, I'll forever admire him and be thankful for that. So, um, I was there parts of three seasons. My second year, I got called up to Lake Erie um, towards the end of the season and, and, and went through a lot that season. And um, going back to my college days, I, I told myself, I said, I don't know what this whole pro landscape is, but I'll give myself two years to play after college. I have two years to do whatever I want with pro hockey. And then after that, it's time time for a real job. And it was coming down to the last couple months of my second season. I hadn't found much success. I was cut three times my first year um, in I kind of threw caution to the wind and I said, if this is my last two months of, of playing hockey, I'm going to, I'm going to have fun with it. Right. And, and I think that's one thing that we lose at all levels of hockey as well is the fun aspect. It's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to take us back to when we're kids and um, especially the pro landscape, major junior college. Um, it becomes a job a lot earlier now for a lot of people. Uh, and I didn't, once again, I didn't want to go out that way. So I threw caution to the wind and I started, I, I wasn't known for my skill, but I started opening it up a little bit and, and, and had, a, had a little bit more fun and things ended up paying off. And I went up and I finished the season in Lake Erie, um, you know, and, and had a little bit of success there as a, you know, kind of a grinder. Um, and then the next season I was back in the coast and, and I went up to Bridgeport back down. And then I found out that my coach wasn't letting me get called up by Bridgeport. Another guy you might know by the name of Trevor Gillies. Oh, yeah. um, so Gillies calls me, he goes, what's going on over there in Idaho? I said, what do you mean? He said, we're trying to call you up and your coach isn't letting you come. And thankfully I was good friends with Trevor and he let me know or I would have had no idea. Yeah. Um, 
and we found a loophole. Me and my agent found a loophole and I walked in one day and I told my coach, listen, I packed up my entire apartment. I'm going to take this opportunity. And if they cut me tomorrow, I'll figure it out then. And I went up to Bridgeport and uh, luckily the coach at the time in Bridgeport, Brett Thompson, um, he waited for me and waited for me. And I ended up going up there and stayed up the rest of the year. Signed with Hershey the next year and uh, halfway through, I was, you know, I was fighting a lot and, and, and putting up pretty good points. And Washington said, we want to convert you to a three-year deal and got an opportunity at the NHL. And uh, I don't know if it was luck or, or pure adrenaline, um, had some success early and stayed up. And then the rest of my career was kind of up and down and ended up going over to Pittsburgh and winning a cup with Pittsburgh. And how cool is that right like come on let's like we're we're, we're gonna get into more than just the hockey side of your life and i really appreciate you sharing um pieces of, of your hockey story with us i mean if, if we can just kind of take inventory of that for a second for anybody that may be watching or listening to this whenever it may be maybe a hockey parent or young hockey player i mean think about that if how many people would have ever looked at you at 21 years old and been like, yep, that guy's going to play in the NHL, right? You even yourself had given yourself two years and you were at the tail end of that and thought, well, the hell with it. This is the last hurrah. I might as well just go out, have fun and, and do what I can do and forget about what the end result's going to be. And next thing you know, you're winning a cup in P Pittsburgh. It's like, what? Like that, yeah. that, that can happen. And it happens. And that's a great story, man. Like that, that's perseverance and, and hard work. And what I really heard on that is you bet on yourself, right? A lot of guys probably wouldn't have had one. It's great that Gillies had your back. You're so right about that. Had he not called you, you probably would have got buried there and never had that same trajectory. But also you had, you had it in you to go to the coach and be like, Hey man, I'm going like, I'm betting on myself and I'll figure it out. And so, and so thankful that you did. Right. That's it. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, you, you talk about it too. And um, when we talk about stories that we admire, yours is, yours is one of those stories. And um, it doesn't come easy. And, and, and I think once again, you go back to the youth, youth hockey or, or even pro hockey now, uh, the culture we've created, it's, it's easy for guys to quit. It, it, it's, it's easier to quit and it's almost a built-in, uh, you know, defense mechanism where, they want, they want it, but they don't want to work for it in case it doesn't come true. You know, they, they, they have a little reserve. Oh, you know, I didn't, I didn't put everything I could towards it. If I would have, I, you know, I would have had more success. And um, that's the, the culture we live in. And, and that's not the cloth that I'm cut from or yourself. And I think that's why we're here talking too, is, um, you know, we, we bet on ourselves. We're, we're able and willing to change and, and, and do what it takes to, to ultimately give ourselves the best chance to succeed. So that was one thing I did and, and it paid off, but I would lie if I said it was just me, right? I had a support system around me and, and, and gravitated towards guys like, like Gillies who had my back, like Marty Flickle, um, you know, who showed me what it's like to be a pro, uh, you know, and then ultimately you have coaches that believe in you and, and I did not want to let them down. I would do anything it took uh, to not let them down. And, and that propelled me for, for success as well. I love stories like that, man. And that is, those are the stories that need to be told because the, the reality is the Connor McDavid's, the Sidney Crosby's they're few and far between. 
the Connor Bedards, the even Adam Fantilli, who's not like a first overall pick, but playing in the NHL at 18. Like that's few and far between. But there's a lot of other positions that have to be filled. And too often guys get deterred early on thinking because they didn't get drafted or because it didn't work out at 18 or 19 that the dream's over. And the people need to hear more stories like yours because they do exist. But you're so right about the the hard work and how it's almost a built-in system. I see a lot of that now with with coaching and, and just kind of the way of the world, but the world in hockey and the culture and all the things that you've been touching on, it's drastically changed because I was out of it for 10 years and I came back and I'm like, what? <laughs> like, where, where, where's all the, I, I call them like warriors. I'm like, I'm the kids. They just don't, I, I haven't met one killer yet. You know, like there were legitimate killers on the ice that would go after and compete and battle and, and, and die before they're going to lose. And I just, I don't see a whole lot of that anymore. And, and to, to lead into the, I mean, that leads to a great point. I was around the rink. I lived, you know, I spent a lot of time between Florida and in Detroit and I was at a rink in Florida and the, the hockey landscape is, is really starting to kind of take off with the success of Tampa and the success of the Panthers. And I was at the rink and a dad looks over to me, he goes, how do I make my kid more competitive? And I'm like, this was, this was never a conversation back when we were coming up. I mean, uh, another story, not to go too far off topic. I mean, I gave my best friend 18 stitches in his hand in practice one day because he said nice power play. But like for me, like you know, that that was whatever it took. And, and yeah. it's not like that anymore. And, you know, I could talk at length about hockey and, and, and culture and, and the way it's going and where it was when we were coming up. And you talk about the killers and the guys who would win at all cost. Um, and it's a little different now. It's uh, I'll win if it's easy, but I don't want to win that bad. And, and, and you see it at every level when we've kind of groomed guys into that. And, you know, with not just to talk about the fighting, but the com competitiveness and, and, and the compete level um, without changing the rules of hockey, I feel like they've changed the clientele a little bit. So I'm glad yeah. that I'm, I'm glad that I'm retired at the right time because I don't know if today's game would, would fit my game very well, but oh. uh, I'd be suspended for life. I'd be done. One game, I'd say one thing, and I'd be done. I'd be, I'd be done. I'd never play again. I would be so canceled if I played in today. And it's evident still when I play in men's league because I still have that competitiveness. When you have it, you. I'm sorry. Like it's really hard to turn off, right? Uh, like it, it is at times. It can be hard to turn off, especially if someone really wants to push your buttons. But I want to. Here's what I want to do. If you're cool with it. So we went through your story a little bit, but I heard you bring up something earlier about your time and again you can steer this however you want so don't feel any pressure but i heard you talk about your time in college and it wasn't it wasn't great is that something that you'd be willing to even just a little bit dive into that why it wasn't great maybe some of the experiences or is that kind of something that maybe is off topic or off limits no, no, I, I I'll speak on anything and, and I think it's important. It's important to put a real message out there. And, and one of my biggest focus, I still do a lot of stuff in the, in the sports world and, and deal with a lot of young kids. And I think the education piece is something that is, is missing, right? Like on ice, there's a million skills, guys, there's everything, but you know, to tell real true stories and, and prepare guys for what they could face and, and different situations they're going to face um, is, is very, very important. So, you know, I touched on a little bit going to college. Uh, there was a defenseman that decided not to come back. I, I was 
I was essentially a nobody in, in uh, Lake Superior State, had a conversation with me uh, while I was playing in the North American League at Traverse City, and then it was kind of dead in the water. I think they were scrambling a couple weeks before school, and they asked what I was doing. I had already started my clock, so I didn't have opportunities knocking at the door. I wasn't a big high prospect like you talk about. So they asked what I was doing, and you know I didn't have anything on the table, so I accepted it um, and went there. And like I said, I, I was essentially a nobody. I didn't really know anybody. Um, from the day I got there, the the coach, I was I was an outcast. You know, I was an outcast, and I think, you know, to this day, I, I'll I don't think I would have played a game if it wasn't for injuries or, or guys being ineligible and uh, because of grades and, um, you know, it, it just it, it set me up and, and put me in a position where um, I wasn't I wasn't a favorite and, and and I was almost an after afterthought and it was like. Sometimes when you're in those situations, the, the harder you work or the more success you have or the better you play, uh, people tend to resent you more and, and, and make it harder for you and, and, and challenge you more. And it prepared me for my pro career because once I went through that, I, the stuff I faced at, at, at the pro level, I was like, I've been here before. You know, I know if I stay true to myself, somebody's going to recognize that. And I think that's the most important thing that guys can, can uh, understand. Uh, you know, so he... You know, coach, the whole situation, you know, other guys, it, it was a little bit challenging for me, um, but but stayed true to form. And, uh, and and I'll go talk on another topic. Uh, when a coach tells a, a parents or parents that, um, yeah, if you, you know, if you ever want to talk, my door's open. They don't always mean that, you know. So my dad, you know, being naive, didn't really know that, uh, had a conversation with the coach my first year and just saw him in the stands, you know, at a, at a pregame skate or whatever, and just said something to him. And from that point on, it was like, I was, I was on the, on the shit list. So, um, you know, I, I, my first year playoffs, I had my head coach screaming in my ear, I'll never play another game again. You know, you'll be in the stands for the rest of your life. Tried to cut me my first year. I had an assistant coach in my ear telling me, Hey, just keep playing, just keep playing. So, uh, and it was three years. It was three years of, of, you know, not, this isn't a poor me story, but it was three years of, of hard work and trying to do everything I could and, and, you know, trying to fit the mold that they had placed me in um, and trying to make them happy. And, and at the end of the day, um, if somebody doesn't want to be happy, you're, you're not going to make them happy no matter what you do. And, and so for me, I kind of tailored that my junior senior year and, and, and understood that, even if the guys behind me don't appreciate it at this time, there's a lot of other people that are watching and somebody's going to recognize it. And if I do the right things consistently over time, somebody's going to understand that and appreciate that. And, and I had to trust that. And, and that's what I did, you know, and, and. Did you have people, well, let me ask you, sorry to cut you off when you're going through that, is that something that you had somebody that helped helped you like debrief or if were you able to call your dad or anyone back home and, and kind of chat that through or is that like you're everything's in the dark i'm going through this on my own and and just like when we think about that imagine that right you have someone yelling at you telling tell, basically telling you how how much you suck you're never going to play again and, and that's coaching like to me, like that is not how you bring out the best in people at all. And we can, for me, I, and I'm never going to agree with, with anybody. People say, well, sometimes people need to get yelled at and this and that. I think 
there's a certain way that you can still bring out the best in somebody without having to completely degrade them because there's guys like me who get that and I'll just go into a shell. Like that's the way that I dealt with it. So did you have anybody to talk to and how did you keep that mindset through that? Because I'm sitting here listening going, man, like when I went through that, I would just wanted to run away. And sometimes I did because I didn't know how to deal with it. So how did you manage that? If, if there's a young kid or a parent listening or watching who has, who's going through something like that, like what do you have some advice to, to help them stay kind of positive? Because it sounds like you're, you really dealt with it in a, in a pretty fantastic way. Yeah. I, I think for me, I, to answer the question, no, I did not have an outlet like that. It's, and I say this all the time, right? As a kid moving through sports, you can't talk to your coach you can't talk to your parents because they most parents can't relate to what you're going through as an athlete. A lot of parents have not played to that level or played with that amount of pressure. My brother, my dad, they never played division one college hockey. They never faced that kind of pressure. So it, you can speak to people, but they can't really relate to this, the magnitude of the situation, which, you know, so I did a lot of things as I look, you know, as I look back on, on my time in my career, you know, 14, 15 years later, I did a lot of things in the mental space that I didn't know I was doing at the time. And, and, and now, you know, now I've kind of learned some more technical terms and, and kind of what I was doing, but I learned by going through it. And, and for me, there's no substitute to experience. And um, to your point, and, and this is why, you know, I've, I've had chills about three times on this podcast is I'm not one for yelling, you know, and me and you both fought. We, we both did that. I am very, very mild mannered. Every message has two ways to deliver it. You're going to get the message across. People are going to react to it differently. If a, co if a coach is yelling at me or if a coach talks to me, I'm going to listen to the coach who's talking to me a lot more and I'm going to take it in. And now when he talks to me, I know it's, if a coach yells, it, you might get away with it once or twice, but guys are going to tune you out. And, and I think to me personally, it is a question that I, I ask a lot of parents and as a lot of players when they're evaluating, you know, what team I should sign for, because we're talking about coaching. What is your definition of the most successful coach? Is it a guy who wins every game or is it a guy who gets the most out of every player? And, and to your point, yelling at guys is never a way to get the best out of everybody. It's not, especially this day and age, we talk about culture and how guys have changed with the competitiveness. You see it all the time in the NHL. We'll talk about that level for a little bit. The coach always goes before the player, always, you know? So the, the yelling and stuff and that old school mindset, it puts a lot of guys in shells and, and it, it leads guys in the wrong direction. Um, and guys, a lot of guys don't know how to cope with it. And, it. and it's very, very hard. And luckily and thankfully, I was able to, you know, to maneuver my way through it and, and do a lot of things that I didn't know I was doing at the time. Um, and, and it was a learning experience for me. And that's why I love being able to share my story and, and help as many people as possible with that. Another question for you. We're kind of jumping all over the place, but like, dude, you can steer this conversation however you see fit. I saw a picture of you drinking out of the Stanley Cup and there was a caption that said, the first time I ever drank alcohol and the only cup I'll ever drink out of something along those lines. Is that, was that true? It's 100% true. Yeah, nobody, nobody, uh, I think a lot of people until that article or those articles came out, I don't think a lot of people aside from the people who really, really know me uh, believed it or understood it. But yeah, that is the, the one and only sip of alcohol I've ever had. Um, 
it's crazy, you know, and, and we talk about it in college and, and, and juniors and, you know, your story is one, like I said, I think should be shared a lot more and, and guys should really kind of understand the person you are and uh, what you've been through and what you've gone through. I mean, I've been offered crazy, crazy things to drink or to do different things throughout my career. Uh, once again, staying true to myself, um, I, you know, I, I was able to, to, to say no and to, to stay away from that. And uh, one of my buddies, it was after my first year, I had been cut three times. And my buddy, Sean Sedlowski, who's, you know, a three-time all-star Kelly cup champion, East coast, you know, he's led the league a couple times in scoring. Um, one of my closest buddies back home after my first year, he goes, what would it take you to drink? And he goes, would you drink if you ever won a Stanley cup? And here I am sitting around a campfire or in, in the summer after I just got cut three times, I'm like, I mean, yeah, if I won a Stanley Cup, yeah, I'd have a sip, right? And then we fast forward eight or nine years, and and I walk into the room, and Sid's Sid's got the Stanley Cup, and he's dishing them up, and yeah, and I said, you know what? If I I made a I made a promise, and if I'm gonna have one, and this is this is the one I'm gonna have. So, the picture you have up there, I had Sid sign like ten copies of it, and um, you know, I I think the world of him, and and to have him uh you know offer up the only sip i'll ever have of alcohol um you know it, it was a very very special moment and you know and, and then it, it leads into the question everybody's always like oh you know why don't you drink is it family like no no issues no family problems nothing it was just um we talk about the 99 percent of guys that really really have to work for it and it doesn't come easy and i knew for me to have success i had to eliminate any distraction i could and that was a distraction that I didn't need and I never needed it to be social and I never wanted to be out of control of my actions. Um, and that's ultimately, I don't think I'm winning another one, but, uh, so that was, that was the one and only sip. So that is, that is a true caption. So very, very cool. I, I, you know, I'd like to elaborate that on that a little bit. First off, I think that's extremely admirable and, you know, we chatted a little bit before we came on. You mentioned how you, you know, you saw that I'm like kind of speaking and traveling around sharing my story and a, a big part of my message and I haven't shared a lot of it on social media is that alcohol is a drug and we often forget about that. This is something that I've been hammering home, especially when I'm talking to youth, because it's something that when I was growing up, I never really looked at alcohol as a drug, but it is. And um, it's, it's really interesting because I, I think back to my experiences, both on the side of being the guy who is being peer pressured to drink. And I will say that there's been times in my life when I was the older guy being, come on, man, drink, come on, come on. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I didn't, I didn't do any of that, but I did. And I had it done to me. I saw a lot of guys break and give in. And you are in a small percentage, my friend, of guys that didn't break. And I'm not going to call this breaking because anybody in, the, in their right mind, you got Sid, the greatest maybe ever, and a Stanley Cup win. I mean, we're not, that's a pass every time. But Luke Hunter, guy that he's in the Hunter Brothers country music band. Not sure if you're familiar with them. They're Canadian hockey they're brothers. They're a big country music band here. He's the only other guy. He's the only other guy that I can think of that was like, no. I saw a lot of guys try to say no for a long time, but eventually guys would wear them down, 
wear them down, wear them down. So I had a question like this not too long ago. Brady, if I'm being peer pressured, what do I say? What do I do? So I'm going to turn it back to you who was successful and you knew that it was a distraction and you made that decision. And I think we all kind of know that, but how were you able to, to navigate that and what made you successful fighting off the peer pressure? Cause that's hard, man. Yeah. I think, I think there's a couple pieces to that. And, and, and for me, um, you know, I was, I was strong when I said no. And, and the other piece to that, we go back and, and we talk about that leadership and, and, and things like that. When I said no throughout, you know, all points of my career, I was lucky to be in environments where guys respected that, you know, guys respected that. And I think it was a little bit easier for me. I never drank. I've never tried it. So it was a little bit easier for me when I was like, no, I'm not, not like I'm getting drunk three days a week, but I'm not going to do it at a team party. And then I'm going to drink the next day. It was for me. I was like, I've never tried a sip. And I'm telling you right now, today's not going to be the day. And, and guys respected that. So I was very, very lucky and fortunate um, to have guys like that around me. You know, guys that didn't, didn't grind me down, didn't grind me down. And I, I think for me too, it was always important to relate to guys and teammates on a different level. So we didn't need the alcohol in those times to, to, to develop that camaraderie and, and the things that you talk about in the locker room, right? Like we could do other things and we could have other conversations, real conversations like me and you are having. And it's like, okay, we don't have to go have beers. We can go have a coffee and Rich Clune. I mean, Rich Clune is probably somebody, you know, his story very, very well. And, um, Barry Trotz came over to Washington my last year and he asked if I knew Rich Clune. And, and, and I said, you know, obviously we played similar roles and we, we had never fought, but they respected him so, so much before I knew him. And he's like, Barry Trotz told me, he goes, you remind me so much of, of Rich Clune. Fast forward a couple years later, I get traded to Toronto. I meet Rich Clune, me and him, everybody tells us we're twins, except for he went this way and I went this way. And then we came together at the end. And, and now he's been sober for seven, eight, maybe even nine years now. But we would go have tea or we would go have a coffee and we we could have those real conversations that, you know, we talked about it before we hopped on here. There's a lot of negativity in the sport of hockey and a lot of culture issues that would probably we could talk about for weeks. Um, but me and Rich could could communicate and, and relate to levels that not a lot of people can in a locker room. And in, in finding those people and surrounding yourself with those people was very, very important for me as I navigated my way through college, through pro, having guys that understood, you know, more than just the base level that there was deeper and it made it saying no a lot, lot easier. And those guys would always have your back when you did say no. And, and so, you know, your environment's either going to make or break you. Um, and I think it's important for kids to understand that. And with this message is, you know, every team's got good guys, bad guys, and, and in between guys, you know, surround yourselves with the ones that you want to be like. And, you know, I'm telling you that the ones you don't want to be like are going to be pulling at your shirt strings and, and you have to stay true to who you are and, and stay strong. And, you know, the, the ones that are the good ones and the ones that are going to be your support system, uh, if they're true and genuine and, and good, uh, they're going to they're going to have your back. And I had those people. So I'm once again, I'm forever thankful for those guys that I had you know, in, that's, in, in that's incredible. All right. And, and 
it, it's so true. You know, who's who's around you, it matters so much more than I think we all realize. And even though I know that and I've learned that the, the hard way sometimes, um, but it's never been more apparent to me. And, and I think that's something that everybody needs to pay a lot more attention to. You know, this saying that we are the average of the five people we spend the most time with, it, it couldn't be more true. A part of my speech that I that I always share and I leave that leave the kids with is like your real friends will never peer pressure you. If if people really have your back, they are never going to peer pressure you to put you or anyone else around you in in a position that's vulnerable or dangerous or that's against what you stand for. Um, so that that's something that is that we need to highlight. And if you're not around those people you need to you need to make a change and you need to make a change now because it'll get you sooner or later um shout out rich clune too while we're here my name is dickie great documentary uh just a tremendous story and he's worked very hard um at his recovery and uh, i met him actually under really terrible circumstances um, at a celebration of life uh, for another hockey player, Daniel Miner. Um, when he passed away, Rich was his sponsor and uh, I had an opportunity to chat with him for, for an hour or so and um, a, a great guy and uh, just has inspired a lot of people, especially in the hockey community to, to really take a look at themselves and, uh, and to do some of that hard work that, let me tell you, it can be a very daunting task. Uh, but when we can see other people, you talk about lived experience. If you don't know what I've gone through, then you're never going to get it. Uh, as hockey players, for me, like that's what I identified myself. So when I was able to see guys like Dickie and and Theo and Sheldon and and these other guys that stood up and and were able to be vulnerable and share their story and to show that you know people can do recover that we're a lot stronger than we could ever believe like that is the difference maker and that's why real lived sharing real lived experience is so 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 valuable um and and, and i'm gonna i'm gonna cut you off and it's a great message that that you're spreading and you know i think to to go back to that a little bit too i think it's important for kids to understand it's not just going to be like one night like hey drink it's it's going to happen slowly over time and they'll, you know, teammates are going to push a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. Um, so it's not just like a one-time thing. It's not like you say no once and it's done. It's, you know, you have to stay true and stay strong to that. And, um, you know, I can't relate to some, some of your story or, or Dickie's story, but, but it's not a, it, it's not a one night thing. It's not a one day thing. It is, it is, it is constant over the course of a career and each and every day. So, um, you know, thank you guys for, for being there, but it's, it's a message that kids need to understand too, that it's not just say no once and it's over, um, you know, those bad guys. And it's important to a lot of guys get sucked into the best players or, or the most talented players too. It's it, to me, it's about people. And, and we talked about Marty Flickle being an unbelievable person off the ice, Sid being an unbelievable person off the ice, Dickie, Rich Clune being an unbelievable person off the ice. I'm not going to sit here and talk about skill on anybody. It is about the people away from the rink that you surround yourself with. And, and, you know, I see it all the time and you work with a lot of young kids, you know, a, a kid who's younger and has success, he draws a crowd and immediately guys in the locker room are attracted to that guy because he's talented and he's skilled, but that's not always the guy you want to, you know, surround yourself with or, or be drawn to. So I think that's important for kids to understand too. 
amen to that. And uh, I, I, I lived that, man. I, I sometimes went with the wrong crowd and there was times when maybe I was the wrong crowd. I look at some of the, the ways that I acted and a lot of it was because of the leadership that I had or lack of leadership. And that's something that's really important. I think when let's, let's just talk about as a parent, if you have a kid that's leaving home to go play hockey, I, I would be really trying to do as much research on that team as possible with who do they have playing? Like, where are they going in their careers? What is it really like? Because if you don't have a couple good guys in the dressing room that are that are on that, you know, you know what I'm talking about on that track. Like, they're they've they're they're all in and they're making all the right decisions for themselves to get there. And if you don't have some people like that, and we're just using hockey as the example, but just in life in general, where they're motivated and they're doing things the right way and and leading by example. I mean, you can get sidetracked very easily, especially as a young hockey player moving away to go play junior. You feel like kind of like a little rock star, like you're a celebrity. At least that's how I felt in the Western Hockey League. I felt like untouchable, super cocky, arrogant. I'm not proud of the way that I was, but it's like I didn't know any better. I was learning from the ones before me, especially in Swift Current. Like it was, it was, it was tough, man. Like, and I, I think back to just hindsight's always 2020. But man, the things that I wish that I could have done differently and the choices that you don't think are going to make that big of an impact on your life at the time, one choice can really sidetrack you like, or on the other side, take you to the the promised land, if you will, by sticking to those good people. Um, I, I want to yeah. talk more about your story, if if you don't mind, like you're you're going through your pro career. It, it wasn't easy to get to the NHL. You did win a Stanley Cup, but there's a lot of ups and downs, that roller coaster of being called up, sent back down, not knowing where you are, pack your bag, you're on a plane, now you're on a bus. Like people have no idea what a grind that is. And it's not, again, a poor, poor me, poor you thing because you're playing hockey for a living. But at the end of the day, you're human, and that takes a toll on on your mental health and and your well being sometimes. And is just wondering what your experience uh, with that was. I I talk about this very very often. So for any listeners who don't know what I do outside of hockey, for 16 years I've ran a high end summer league back in Detroit for all the top pro college and junior guys. A uh, number of high end guys, you know, played in it with. Dylan Larkin, Zach Wierenski, Alex Dabrinkit. Uh, the Red Wings put a full team of prospects in there. But I've been at the same rink for 16 years. And the, the gentleman who runs the arena, Nick Poliski, we talk about it all the time. We laugh when parents are like, oh, my, my kid's going to play pro hockey or my kid's going to play college hockey or kids. Like, that's all they want to do. And everybody thinks it's just bright lights and, and glitz and glamour. And they don't know that <laughs> – they don't know the, the things that you're talking about, the, the mental duress it puts on you, the waking up every day not knowing where you're going to be or what's going to trigger a send down or, you know, your teammate got called up and why is he called up and not you? And, you know, living six and a half months out of a hotel room and, um, you know, not to touch too much on my story, but. We, we talk about guys like you and Rich Clune and just because I've, I've only had one sip of alcohol doesn't mean I didn't battle things, you know, on the mental side. I mean, the, my second year in Washington, I got sent down and I was living in the Hershey hotel. And, um, you know, you go from being 
feeling like I've done everything and I've been through so much and I finally made it and I'm there and I'm playing great. And a lot of times we learn as hockey players, it's not always how you're playing or whatever. You never know what's going to cause it. I got sent down to Hershey and here I am in the Hershey Lodge and every day the walls got a little closer and a little closer. And it was, it was actually very, very suffocating at times. Um, you know, it, it, it puts you in that and then packing up your car and moving cross country and living out of a hotel. And, you know, when I got traded from Pittsburgh, I had an apartment in Wilkes-Barre. I had, I had been living for four and a half or five months in a hotel in Pittsburgh. So I got traded while we were on the road. We were in Chicago. I flew back from Chicago to the standard airport in Pittsburgh had to get an Uber from that airport to the private airport to get my car, drive from there to the hotel, pack up my stuff, drive to Wilkes-Barre to grab my apartment, an entire apartment, fly out to, to Toronto. I landed at 4.30 in the morning and we had a 10 o'clock kids game. Um, so played that day and it's like, it's not the glorious thing that everybody imagines. And it's not just once you make it and once you're there, it's, 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 you're on easy street. Um, you know, there is a lot and it is very, very, very testing mentally and it changes you as a person. I will tell everybody this. We talked about it when I first came in. I'm not a very emotional person. I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, whether it's playing on a team and you have teammates for seven months and then you just, they're your best friends and you never talk to them again, or you have your best friends, 20 guys, and then you get traded and you never talk to him again and now you're on a different team it almost over time wears you down and, and it kills a lot of emotion in you you have to be cold you have to be cold to have success and you know that was all a result of that those mental challenges and staying tough and you know you almost have to kind of separate yourself in some aspects <clears throat> yeah that's uh so that's really well put man that's a that's a really great description of of what a lot of the what a lot of pro hockey is and uh, think as fans and people who just love the game as kids who grow up idolizing pro hockey players you don't see that and until recently you don't hear about it either and we still don't hear a lot about a lot about it and i imagine that when those walls were closing in on you um that that's not something that you were openly talking about with anybody either Right. And so that for me always compounded it. And then I'm worried, like, someone going to find out that my, that I'm struggling mentally. And then what, then what does that look for my, my hockey career? And I, I just, there's so many, there's just always so many thoughts going through your mind. Then you con you compound it with, do I have to fight this guy tonight? <laughs> like, who am I fighting tomorrow night? Now I'm not sleeping the night before. Cause I'm worried about getting knocked out in front of 20,000 people plus a million on TV. Yeah. And, and, you know, and it, and it, I think a lot of that, it, you know, we talk about, there's a lot of issues that surround that and the mental side of sports and, you know, sleeping, sleeping is a big one. You know, when those thoughts are running through your head, it becomes very, very hard to fall asleep. And then when you finally do fall asleep, it becomes very, very hard to wake up in the morning and, you know, go to the rink when you're in an unfavorable situation, which, you know, happens to everybody at some point. And we talked about it a little bit when we were talking about my college career, it's, you can't run to mom and dad. You can't run to brother. You can't run to coach. Your agent's just going to, you know, rub your back and do anything. He tell you whatever you want to hear to make you happy, but he's not helping you. Um, advisors, nobody. 
that's why I was very, very lucky to have people like Rich Clune for a good part of my career. A, a, another guy, Eric Fair, um, you know, those guys that that you can that can relate in in some way, shape, or form that will help you. And in it's very, very hard to to find those people. And, and that's why those people are very, very valuable. Um you know, because it's it's not something that you can talk about openly. It's it's something that many people face. Uh, you know, what's that going to look like? Especially, we'll we'll talk about it. I was always a borderline guy. You know, you were a guy who it wasn't peaches and cream your entire career, and just it, it, it's very hard when you're a borderline guy. You cannot do anything that is going to give you or give them a reason why. And I say this to every young kid. We t- we're talking about pro hockey and how beautiful it is they are not looking for reasons to keep you. They're looking for reasons to get rid of you. And, and, and you see it all the time. You know, there's always somebody there waiting. And if you give them this much of a reason and speaking on that and speaking on the mental side of stuff, you feel like that could be your reason. So you have to try to try to bottle that in. And, and then it sits on your chest, like a hundred pound dumbbell, you know? Yeah, it's, it's a lot. And it's been a, it's been a topic of discussion on the show. I've had a lot of current and mostly former pro hockey players and it just seems like we all went through very similar circumstances and and felt like we couldn't we could never talk about it and again some guys will deal with it better than others right there's there's always different circumstances we all have our our own set of experiences leading up to our careers or, or moments in our life that always will it just changes it for everybody. And so because you and I could go through something similar on the outside, but our experiences prior to that will determine how we react and, and how we respond. And for you, you were able to to react and respond in a way and make choices in a way that best suited your career and your success. And, um, you know, and it, and it worked. It, it worked for a long time. Like, is it, was there ever a time either during or after your career where you had a lot of struggles. And this is kind of a, a two, a second question that doesn't go with this, but I, I assume, and I shouldn't assume, but drugs that no drugs either. I mean, no alcohol, no drugs. That's, that's the way it's been or just yeah. what we're on the topic. Yeah. Com- completely, completely straight edge in, in cool. you, you know, I, I fought quite a bit. Right. So dealing with that and, and some of the things that you're talking about, like, the that's a pressure that not a lot of guys know right is is the fighting aspect and dealing and coping with that with with without you know any drugs or or, or alcohol was always a challenge so uh, but for me i found other things and in you know this is why i'm big on balance too you know young kids just eat sleep breathe hockey and it's very very stressful for me you know i didn't use drugs or alcohol but i had my business so my business was my release. When I wanted to get away from hockey, I was working on, you know, ESE hockey, which is Eastside Elite, which is, you know, the summer leagues and the tournaments and things like that. That was my release, right? So, and, and I tell a lot of guys this, you know, I had my business and when I was at the rink, it was almost like recess at school. That was my two hours, two and a half hours to get away from everything, go practice, do whatever, and then go back to business. And then if things at the rink, were great. Then it would be like, all right, hockey's going well. Now my business is, is that two minute getaway. <laughs> Look at that picture. Thank you. Thank you very much. We, we have some, some pretty good players up there that, uh, that probably can't relate to parts of our stories, but 
all, all really good guys. But having that balance of, you know, things at the rink aren't great. At least I have my business or, you know, dealing with players and coaches and different things can present its own challenges. You know, if I needed to get away from that, then it was, then it was hockey. Right. So it's very important to find that balance. And, you know, ultimately that was what I leaned on over the, the drugs and alcohol. <clears throat> what about, what about, how was it? Cause now I believe it's a little bit different, but you've been doing this hockey league, which by the way is awesome. That, that's so great. It's, it's, it's cool just to bring people together, but you're actually giving uh, uh, like a, you have a place where people can play competitive hockey when there's no competitive hockey. And that's just becomes kind of a nightmare for some guys. It always was for me to try to find ice outside of, you know, certain skates here and there. I just want to play in a game and I don't want to play men's league because I don't want to get jumped or need or whatever. Uh, so I think it's really, really cool. And obviously getting to see some of the best players in the world come together in a league you've created, that's, that's got to make you feel pretty, pretty good. But my question is 15 years ago, you started this. Was that something that you openly discussed in a dressing room? Because back then it was like, if you're not hundred percent focused on hockey and you have a plan B, then maybe you're not maybe you're not committed. That was the that was sort of the the way that I saw it. It was it was all hockey or just don't talk about it. So was that something that obviously people knew, but is that something that you would bring to the rink? And did you ever get any pushback from it? This is this is why I this is why I was excited to be on this podcast is because you understand it. And 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 once again, it's a teaching tool. Yeah. It it when you have other things going on and you're not the hockey robot and it's just eat, sleep, breathe hockey, it can be looked at as a distraction. And, um, you know, I started it my junior year of college and we talked about how challenging those three years of college, you know, three years of college were. I It led me to start my business. You know, that was my getaway from all the bad stuff that was happening at the rink and, and in college was I put a lot of energy to this. And, you know, I, I literally started it on Facebook. I messaged all the guys from my area, high-end players, like, listen, I have this idea, like, would you guys play? I made sure I had my numbers and we were off and running. Um, but I did keep it pretty quiet as I was having success. And, you know, at the minor league levels, they're okay with it. And it was just in the summer. So, uh, but at the, at the higher levels, you know, when you're, you're cramming on work all summer and, you know, summers were my busy time. Most guys, it's their off season. They go work out and they go on the, the lake and they live their life. Um, for me, that was my busy time. I did have to keep that, you know, pretty quiet for a, a, a lot of reasons. And, and you saying that it, it's looked at as a distraction and you can't have anything other than your sole focus on hockey. For me, I had to have balance to have success. You know, they the hockey world doesn't really want that. I have another friend of mine <clears throat> who played in the NHL a little bit, but, um, you know, made a living overseas and he owned a Quiznos and he actually got dropped from a European team because he owned a Quiznos and it was back in the States, but it was looked at as a distraction and he wasn't fully committed to that. So, uh, you do have to have to kind of be careful with that. And then once I moved through my career and got a little bit older and, um, a little bit, more of a resume and leg to stand on. And, and it, it was a little bit easier to open up and talk about it. And, you know, one of the big things is with the league is, you know, I, I had a speech for 15 years. We celebrated 15 years at the all-star game uh, last two years ago. And, and I told guys, I said, you guys should be very, very proud that you guys are a piece of the guy's success next to you. And, and I think 
as I got older and people kind of understood what I was doing and building and the guys who have played in it, they started to understand that a little bit more. You're eliminating a lot of risk. You're giving guys a place to play. So I think they were a little bit more open to what I had going on outside of hockey. But I did face that for a majority of my career. And in the earlier years, I had to keep it really, really quiet. I think it's really important for for guys to to have you, you talk about balance and I couldn't agree more. I never knew what balance was. I'm still trying to find it, but um, life after hockey, right? That's a, that's a, that's a scary one for a lot of guys. And it's been a challenge for, for a lot of guys. And I, I think it's really important to have something else to, to have, give you purpose, to have your focus and attention, something to work towards. And, for you, it, it's you kind of just you had it before you were an NHL player. You already knew what you were doing. I know you have other things on the go, but how was transitioning out of pro hockey for you? And did uh, your business play a part in that, in in helping you transition? And kind of like, what has your life been like since leaving the game? I know it's fairly recently. You slugged it out uh, in the coast there for a couple of years. You must have loved playing. Is that why you keep playing? Or because a lot of guys, I don't know. Would they would they keep playing? A lot of guys I I played with when their NHL careers kind of ended and now they're in the minors of Europe, they kind of just felt like, well, why the hell am I playing? Yeah, we we're we're talking about it. Uh I'll, yeah, I, I mean I like hockey. It it was a job for a large part of it. Um, but educational purposes, right? I, I went east coast, even below the east coast, all the way back, full circle, and I got to see the ECHL back in 2009 to the ECHL in, in 2022. And I can tell you um, for educational purposes, when I talk to guys in my summer league, and, and that was a big reason why I signed over in Europe for, you know, I would have loved to stay over there a little bit longer and COVID shut that down, but it's hard for me to educate guys and help guys in if I, if I haven't been through those experiences. So I went over to Europe a little bit. I went back, I was playing in the coast until last year. Um, <laughs> and for everybody listening, when, when you think you're 37 and you've played in the NHL and had a pretty decent career, the, the nonsense doesn't stop even at 37 years old. At uh, So I was going through it and it, it forced me into retirement as much as I thought I had things figured out with business. And, you know, now it's more of a full-time gig, but there's still that lack of structure, right? The lack of get up at eight o'clock, especially, you know, being a business owner and entrepreneur and running your own thing. Like there's nobody to hold you accountable except for yourself. So there's not that, you know, you have to be at the rink at 830 and you're there till 12. And, you know, so you talk about finding a purpose. It's like there are days where it's like I'm sitting here and I'm working and it's you feel like you're spinning your tires a little bit and and searching for purpose. And, and, and although I have this and, and, you know, now it's exciting because, be, you know, being fully retired, I can kind of expand on a lot of things that I've taken some time to build but you're, there's still that lack of structure and that leads to a lot of problems and a lot of issues when all we've known is be here at this time, be here at this time. You can't be a minute late. Now I have freedom and flexibility and I'm in control of my own schedule. And, and, and that leads to a lot of, a lot of downtime and a lot of thinking and a lot of, I don't know if I'm going to do that today. And, and, and it, it, it is still challenging as much as you think you have it figured out as an athlete and, and, and whatnot, as much as you prepare, there is still a very, very big transition period. And 
um, you know, I've tried to bring guys on board and tried to get guys to kind of help with ESE and looking to do so moving forward as well. And, and to try to alleviate some of that, you know, me going through it and kind of learning um, if I can help guys with that transition, that's ultimately why I started this 16 years ago. So hopefully we can continue to do so and take some of that pressure off of guys as they retire. That's great. That's cool. Do you ever, uh, do you play in your league or what? A <laughs> little bit harder each and every year, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, I've always played in it. Um, last year might've been me tipping the cap and, and, uh, it, the guys are so fast now and so skilled and, um, it's, it's very tough to, to juggle everything now. And there used to be a purpose for me playing in the league. And uh, I think that purpose is kind of, kind of said goodbye, but you know, I love cutting it up with the guys in the lobby and, and, and things like that, but I can't per perform to the level I used to. That's for sure. Yeah. I feel that tip that cap one more time. You were telling me uh, let's plug these hats. Gord Downey from the tragically hip would be all over that. Yeah. So it's, it's funny. We have these conversations. We talk a lot about hockey, but it's, it's every sport. It's every sport. So we talk about these hats a little bit. This is a, a good friend of mine, Lash LaRue, um, out of Evansville, Indiana. In, and he just got back from France for, he was over there for three, four years, but um, all handmade. Uh, he was a college baseball player. And, and while he was playing baseball, he couldn't really express himself and couldn't do, you know, a lot of things that he wanted to do because you have to fit that mold. And, you know, you have to do things to a certain standard in a certain way, or you're looked at as a distraction, you know, um, especially when you're a borderline guy and, you know, if PK Subban wears this in the rink, it's okay. If I wear this in the rink, it's like, here's this guy up from the American league. Like who does he think he is? Um, but he went through it in baseball. And once he graduated from college baseball and moved on, he's like, I've always had a serious passion for hats he started making handmade hats. And, and so I have, you know, in my collection, I probably have 10 of his hats um, and a couple pieces of clothing. And, and to me, it represents the blood, sweat and tears that we talk about. And just somebody who's doing it for the craft and, and out of pure passion. Um, so I wear these hats with a lot of pride and it's become kind of my staple. I love it. Is it before I before I even talked to you, I saw you sitting there uh, on the bottom of my screen and I'm like, that hat is sick. I was like, I'm like, yeah. oh, this is gonna be a, I was like, this is gonna be a great conversation. I could tell already. That's a yeah, great so, um so actually, yeah, and, and everyone has something special on sorry about my hair, but look this at my one hair. has, you know, this one has all in and in any two cards can win, which you know to me represents everything you do, you know, go all in and uh any two cards can win. I say this all the time with youth kids, like some guys are going to be better skaters or some guys are going to be better stick handlers. It's like math and science. You're not always going to get everything, but understand what you have in your hand and play it to the best of your abilities. So, um, you know, I have another, my, my tagline throughout my entire career was dream big. And, and that's something that I really, really, really preach to a lot of kids is like, you know, dream and, and, and follow it and don't be afraid to follow it. So, um, every piece that I that I wear has a special meaning on there. So really cool stuff by Lash LaRue. Very cool. I love that. And I love the dream big. We'll just let's stay with that for a minute because I think there's a lot of in this world, there's a lot of people trying to just step on your dreams, right? Oh, I, I want to make it to the NHL. Do you know that only point whatever percentage or whatever? It's like, yeah, shut up. But there's also a percentage that does make it. And I'm a big proponent of, of, of believing, number one, but manifestation. 
and, and to manifest, I think like there's no secret. You have to work. You can't just say it. You got to put things into action. But the power of belief and manifestation and hard work, when you do, when you combine those things, I truly believe that anybody can accomplish anything. And the world works in really, really mysterious ways where sometimes I just look up and I'm like, okay, come on now. Like, really? Like, is this a joke? Because it's either, it's just almost unbelievable. But dream big. Like, people make things happen from literally nothing. You made it to the NHL through perseverance, hard work, belief, and and it wasn't the easy road. But that, you look at this, man. I want to bring this picture up again. Tell me any kid drinking out of the cup. Look who's holding the cup. Like, sit. Like, come on. Like, one of the greatest ever. And there's a guy that wasn't drafted and had probably had no, but not how many people along the way actually said, yeah, Steven, you're going to make the NHL. How many? Yeah. What about you though? In the back of your mind through those times in those three hard years of college, did you have the belief? It, it, it's, it's all self-belief. And, and I, and another thing that I say is if you don't believe in yourself, nobody else is going to, yeah. and, and, and you cannot listen to what people say. Um, you know, early on in my career, I, I had a, I, I'll be honest, like I, there's a lot of things that I'm sharing on this podcast that I've never really opened up and said, but, um, I spent the, you know, a, a small part of the end of the season, my second year in Lake Erie. And I went back the next year and by all accounts, you know, they kind of had me slated to make the team. And, um, I played an exhibition game and I didn't play very well. And, you know, they called me up to the front of the bus. We all know how it goes. Hey, we know you can play better, but, you know, you're going to Idaho. And I went home and I had about two and a half weeks between American League camp and when I had to fly out. And I sat on my couch at home and I said, I, 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 I talked myself out of playing well. I was like, I can't believe I'm in the American League. This is crazy. These guys are so good. I went home and sat on my couch and I said, up here will never be the reason I don't have success again. And that was the turning point for me. And so no matter what happened, no matter what my coach thought, no matter what my coach told me, no matter what my coach believed in, I had to shift my focus. And, and you talk about manifestation, which I'm huge in, and we could, we could have a whole nother podcast on that. Um, but then I kind of switched my focus. It, it wasn't so much trying to make these guys happy anymore, trying to make my coach happy because I knew at the end of the day, if I stay true to who I am, if I play my game, I know if I played well or if I played bad. And you know what? The next game, it's a new, it's, it's, we start over. So, and I also know too that there's a lot of other coaches that are watching these games that, that don't share the same perspective as the guy behind me. And so I started playing for everybody outside of bad situations. I, I was done trying to play for the guy behind me. Um, and, and not in like a selfish or a bad way or a negative way, like I'm not doing what he says. I would still do that. But, to get me through those challenging times, I had to know and understand and realize that there's a lot of other people who are watching that are seeing this game from a totally different perspective than the one guy behind me, you know? Um, and that's how I ultimately stayed true and believed in myself. And, you know, once again, whether it's your father, whether it's your coach, whether it's your best friend, they're always going to have their own perspective of your game. I'm always going to, you have to be real with yourself though. And I think that's the important thing that a lot of kids miss is a lot of kids think they're better than they are. A lot of kids, they're always pointing the finger until you can point the finger at yourself. You're going to hold yourself back. And, and for me, I always, 
You can tell me I played bad. If I thought I played good, that's all that mattered. And if you told me I played great and I, uh, there's a couple things I would change. I can't change them, but I know I didn't play my best. And, and it's, it's a self-evaluation and a lot of guys are afraid of it. And that's, I, I relied on that throughout my career. So that's such great advice. That is such great advice. And something that, you know, I, I, I tell kids too, is you just never know who is watching you. Right. I, I love the way that you, it wasn't about playing for the guy behind me. It was just playing for any, like, just play the right way because you just never know who might be watching. And today <laughs> your journey, as you know, today you're on this team tomorrow, you could be on that team or over there or like, and you just never know. And every opportunity, whether it's on or off the ice. And again, we just talk hockey, but everything that we talk about for me anyways, is relatable to the outside world as well. And I think that's just something to remember is that in everything that you're doing, people are watching and that can either go like that could be good or it could, it could not work in your favor depending on your performance or your, how you act or even just hockey, like slamming your stick. I really notice that now as I'm a, you know, as a, an adult and a coach, when I see a kid do that and I'm like, Oh, and I used to do that quite a bit. And when I was a kid more than I'd like to admit. And now when I see it, I'm like, Ooh, I'm like, that matters, right? Like people see that. And, and I remember kids now when I see that, I'm like, Oh yeah, he was the one that slashes stick or whatever. When I go on the ice with them, I, people remember things, but you always have an opportunity with everything that you do uh, to, to create another opportunity for yourself by, how you perform or how you act or both. So I think that's a, just such a, such a great point. Is there anything that you want to talk about from a personal level that maybe we didn't cover uh, tonight? And by all means, I, I hope that we can, we can do this again. There's a couple other questions that I want to lead to, but if there's anything that, that I haven't given you a chance to lean into or whatever, I mean, by all means, uh, now's the opportunity. No, it, it's funny. You talk about banging your stick and, you know, dealing with so many young kids and we just introduced a new level last year in the ESE. Uh, I think it's really important. We've touched on a number of times throughout this conversation, but you talk about leadership and, and, you know, that starts from organization on down. That starts from the GM, the coaches, you know, you talked about your situations. Like I was very lucky when I played in Traverse City that our coaches put the right guys in place to lead the ship. Our coaches, you know, our one coach, Mike Stapleton, who was a very, very dear friend of mine, a great resource throughout my entire career. I could speak, you know, days on, on what a person he is away from the rink. Um, but that's all important. So we introduced the younger age group now last year, last summer was our first one, but we're big on development. I'm really big in, you know, young kids interacting with older guys and, and learning from them and, and the way they act, both older guys and younger guys, um, Everybody sees it. Everybody sees it. I just had this conversation with one of the kids who played in our, our, our 08, 09 league. He just broke his hand on the glass. He punched the glass. And, and I had a conversation with him. I said, you didn't prove to anybody how much you care. You didn't, like, you didn't prove anything, and now you're sitting here with a broken hand. Like Banging your stick, punching the glass, pouting, it's not proving anything to anybody. It's going back to our previous conversation when hockey – you get to the pro level, the college level, they're looking for reasons to get rid of you. Now you're giving them reasons. And it, it doesn't, oh, this guy's intense. It actually does the exact opposite. And guys don't understand that. And like you said, you used to bang your stick because you were intense and you wanted to win. But once again, there's a, there's a, a way to deliver both messages. They're the same ah. message 
two different ways, right? And we'll relate it back to that, a coach yelling and a coach talking to you, banging your stick or going out there and changing the game by, you know, being hard and being physical or making a play. Like you're doing the same thing, but, and another thing that guys don't realize, you talk about manifestation and a lot of things like this and the mental aspect, you bang your stick after a shift, you go out the next shift, you're still thinking about what's happening last shift. You can't move past that. So now you get an opportunity and you're so worked up from previously that now it's pulling you back from what you could be doing this shift. Right. And, and guys don't understand how these all connect. Um, so this is, this is all stuff that I love to talk about. And I love that you brought the banging the stick up because I see it. And we actually had a guy, a lot of scouts and a lot of people kind of come to the summer league. And we had a guy who there was an OHL team that was there to sign him. He had no idea and he acted like an idiot and they ended up not signing him. And in and, and that day they were at the rink, no idea it's summer hockey. And, and we've had a lot of pretty important people in the building, you know, at different times over the course of 16 years. And you, you never know. And they say it all the time, you know, it takes years to build a reputation and it takes seconds to destroy it. And it, you could do it one time and that, that could be it. So, you know, controlling those emotions and things like that are, it's it's probably the most important piece to hockey i would i would say yeah it's uh it's something that, and again just something that doesn't doesn't really get talked about doesn't get really taught and and i think that's a big piece that's missing for for players but the parents that are paying all this money for for skills coaching and and i i do that right like i coach and i run ice and i do things i don't chase it i'm not every day and it's not how i live like it's not i'm not my whole focus isn't on coaching and trying to charge X amount of dollars for this. I just do it because I love it. But so many people are lost in like, oh, I need to do power skating. I need to stick out. I need no, like there's so much more to it than just that. And if we can develop great people alongside developing those skills, they actually have a lot greater chance to go further in hockey and, and forget about hockey, but that's a, that's a dream when you're talking to hockey parents, let's be honest. That's all they care about. But in the long run, it, it's going to take them a lot further in life too, like building up that character, teaching those lessons. And, and I just think that there's so many missed opportunities to do that. And that's something that we need to do a better job at, just continuing hammering that message home that it's got to be more about just power skating or stick handling or shooting, more ice, more ice, more ice let's actually coach these kids. And, and that's not just about making them better on the ice. It's, it's about making them better people. And it, it sounds like you guys have a pretty cool thing going on down there in, in, in Michigan. Where do you call home? Like where, where are you right now? Uh, Orlando, Florida. So yeah, Orlando is must be nice. It's snowing here and you're in Florida. Must be my, nice. my mother said it was snowing there too. So, uh, a majority of my time down here in Orlando, um, you know, go home for some holidays and, and, and obviously the summer stuff. And, um, you know, so split time between the both of them and, you know, I'll, to, to touch on your point of the educational side on the mental, mental side of sports, I, you know, this, uh, fortunately we were, we were able to play at a pretty high level. Um, the higher and higher level you go, everybody can skate, pass and shoot, but there's less and less bad guys in the locker room. I'll tell you that right now. So, it's, you know, the skills are always going to be there. Skills are going to come. And, and I love 
when somebody's watching an NHL game and they're like, how is that guy still playing? Or how is that guy playing here? Well, let me tell you, there's more to hockey than just the skill. So, yeah. um, you know, a good guy in a, in a, in a good piece to the puzzle, uh, you know, every team's always going to find a spot for that guy. Um, you know, yeah. and that's one thing that parents and, and, and kids lose sometimes. So, yeah. uh, but, but no, I, I mean, I love this conversation. And if you have more questions, I, I'd love to hear them. So, yeah, I think, I think too, I think we have to do a, a part two in the next month or two at some point, because there's yeah. a lot of different kind of things that I'd like to talk about that aren't so related maybe to hockey, but we can always tie them into hockey. But you and I kind of chatted uh, before the, the show, just kind of about the culture of hockey and, and how there's a lot of things that are being presented and, and things that, that we don't agree on. And there's some people that have like a pretty big influence on, on the young generation and adults as well. Um, and I, maybe we'll save it for a later date, but it just, there's a lot of gr- good in this game, but there's also, again, a lot of missed opportunities with people with, with just a tremendous amount of influence that are creating dangerous situations um, with a lot. Of, I see a lot of, again, and this is nothing new, underage drinking, but the underage sports betting has become a major problem here in Canada. And the reason why I wanted to bring that up right now is nothing related to you or, or our conversation, but just like a reminder to parents out there, you should not be allowing your kids to drink underage and or gamble underage by any circumstances. And I don't think a lot of people know that gambling and even TikTok scrolling, a lot of us, I'm guilty for it. Our, our, our brains don't necessarily know the difference between gambling and taking a drug it's it's building it's based on the same dopamine systems in our brains and when you're building these systems in children you're you're building pathways that can be very very destructive for their future that can far surpass the gambling realm you you open it up to they're more prone to drug addiction and alcoholism and all the things um and and i just kind of wanted to bring that up but we we chatted briefly and i think maybe we could we could chat off air about and maybe another time that we could I don't want to say attack that conversation because I think we just want to, to to frame it in maybe a little bit different way than it maybe needs a little bit more thought. Um, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but I just wanted to, while I was thinking about it, to address the underage sports betting because, man, I get thousands of messages every month on social media and a lot of parents dealing with uh, underage sports betting and a lot of parents that are that are feeding that that addiction. And I think with I don't know if you're aware that hockey here in Canada, while watching on TV has drastically changed. Like when I was growing up, even up until a couple of years ago, there was zero, like zero sports betting commercials. And now that's all it is. Every second commercial is a betting app and bet here and bet this. And it's just, I'm I'm not the fun police here. I think, you know, people can do what they want to do, but as parents, we have to make better decisions for our kids. It's a very dangerous road that you're going down if you're allowing your kids to do that. And there's also some people in our game that are making that path almost easier for these kids to walk, I guess I'll say. But um, I don't know what your thoughts are, if you have anything to say. I, I, I think, you know, there's there's influential people that are glorifying it. And, you know, kids, that's what they're absorbing. They're going to absorb what's around them. That's why we spent so long talking on positive influences and leaders and leadership. And um, 
at that age, we're, we're still developing and we don't know right from wrong. And, you know, if, if this guy's doing it and, you know, he's super successful and everybody knows who he is, that has to be the way. And, and that's, that's not it. And, and, and for parents, you know, um, in a lot of ways, you know, parents are, are quick to defend kids nowadays instead of holding them accountable. And I'm big on accountability. It's easy for them to kind of turn away and look the other way and until it's too late. And, and I'll tell you when you, you know, once again, I can't fully speak on, on the drugs and the alcohol, but, you know, in general, whether it's social media, gambling, drugs, alcohol, it's not an on-off switch. Once that thing is on, it is very, very, very hard to train your brain and, and teach it to shut off. And, and, you know, it, all of them are drugs in, in, in the people that are placing those ads and doing those things, they know what they're doing. It's, it's, it's big business. And, and we could talk on that, you know, to, to a long you know extent. And I'll be completely honest, you're touching a lot on gambling. I think it is going to ruin sports. And, and I'm going to say it right now. I've said this for years. Sports are a lot more influenced than people think. And now that is, it's so accessible for fans, families, referees, friends, players, it is going to ruin sports. It is going to ruin sports. And, um, you know, I, I think it's, it, you talk about kids. I think it is very, very important to educate them. Yeah. A lot of kids are not smart enough or know enough. They're gathering their information from social media. And those aren't the best influences. The education piece, a lot of guys aren't aware enough to self-educate. So it has to come from outside sources, parents, um, you know, we talk about the good people surrounding yourself with parents, make sure you hold your kids accountable, make sure they're not staying at the class clowns house on the team, the goofball on the team whose parents are out of town or they're out back could care less. Make sure that you're putting your kids in a position to be around the right kids, to give them the best chance to succeed. At the end of the day, I'm going to leave everybody with this parents. You invest a lot of money and time into your kids make sure that those aren't the things that pull them away from ultimately having the success that they could have with your investment. Man, I couldn't, I couldn't think of a better way to say it. I'm really excited uh, for, to do this again and, and hopefully to, to figure out a way for us to, to combine forces. And hopefully one day I can get down to Michigan once all my, my past stuff clears up. I did get some good news the other day, which was, um, which was reassuring um, but it's still a little bit of a, a, a long road. Like the Anaheim Ducks wanted to fly me down last year and I couldn't go because of my past. And it was a pretty devastating moment, but I, I have no doubt that I'm going to be able to get over there. And I'm, I would, I just want to come check out the league, man. I'll just come down there and watch some hockey. I love being in the rink. Sounds like you have a really cool thing going on. Is there any way, um, that we can support you? Is there a social media page that people can check out? Um, What's the best way to find that out? Yeah, so my personal is at Stephen Alexi. Uh, the league is at ESE Hockey. Uh, you know, in in you talk about this too, right? I'm I'm just going to say this once again before we sign off that it's an absolute honor to share this time with you. What you're doing, uh, you know, to align with somebody like yourself who is spreading the positive message, preparing kids and preparing people for what they could face, both parents uh, and players. It, it's something that really, really needs, uh, you know, it, it needs more light. And, and unfortunately, the world we live in, we talk about social media and negativity sells. 
you see it on Netflix, you see it on every streaming channel, the, the, you know, the dark shows and the negative stuff that is out there that sells, but, but people like yourself, um, you know, I just want to take the time to thank you for spreading the message. And, and if there's anything that I can do, uh, what you're doing is so valuable to the kids of, you know, ESE hockey and kids of youth sports, not just hockey, but, but life. And, um, you know, it's, it's been an honor to share this time with you. And I'm definitely confident that we're going to connect here and, and do some great things together in the future. So thank you. And, and thank you so much for, again, for your time. Time is the most valuable resource that we have. Um, lots of comments that came in. I just kind of was so engaged in the conversation. I'll just leave you with one from Dean Smeal. It says, Stephen, fantastic career. Great listen. Good timing as well. Glad to see you on Hockey to Hell and Back is back because it's been four months and there's been a, a ton of comments that have that have come in throughout the show. And I'm so, sorry that we didn't get a chance to uh, to get to them all. Click on a couple here. Michelle Alt. So just we'll uh, we'll get I'll share them all at the end of the show, but I know you probably got uh, got somewhere to go again. Thank you. We'll be in touch really soon. Keep up the great work. And again, if there's ever anything uh, I can do to help support you or ESC hockey or any other ventures that you have going on, hit me up anytime, man. Greatly appreciate your time. Thank you. And thank I want to thank everybody for for tuning in, too. I look forward to sharing this and I look forward to spreading more positivity with you, my friend. All right. Well, stick. We'll uh, we'll let you go. Make sure you're following him at at Stephen Alexi and of course at ESE Hockey. We're going to let him go, uh, but we'll be right back after a quick message from our friends at Team Issued. See you, buddy. Thank you. Hi there, it's Regan Bartell, the play-by-play voice of the Kelowna Rockets, Brady Leovold's biggest fan. Team Issued is connecting all walks of life. Team Issued does this by recreating that special feeling of being a part of something bigger. A community for all striving towards the same goal. TeamIssued.ca, promo code TOEDRAG15 for 15% off. Wow. Great episode. I love that. I want to say thank you again to the man, Stephen Alexi, for for sharing an hour and a half. God, time goes by very, very quickly. A lot of great stories there. I, I A lot of great takeaways for me on that one. I love that there's one guy that just stood whole, stood strong in his boundaries. Because I talk about this in my my speeches. When I go around to schools, I talk about how I had that boundary. Let me tell you, man, I had that boundary. I was so dead set in my ways. I am never going to drink. I am never going to do drugs, especially the drug part. Let me tell you, especially the drug part. Till that one day, Merritt Mount Music Festival. Come on, man. Don't be a wuss. I get, it's my podcast. I'm not in high school. It was more like, don't be a pussy, man. I know that word's canceled, but that's, don't be a bitch. Come on, try this. Try this. Come on. One thing led to another, and that choice changed my life forever. But Stephen Alexi, he held that down. I'm not going to do it. If you're young and you, you're, you're holding that and you're never going to do drugs, which I hope you never do, please stay firm in that boundary. Just say no. I know. I've been made fun of for saying just say no, just say no. 
because it's funny, kind of. I'm the guy now that just say no. Would have laughed at somebody had they said that to me. Probably would have told them to shut up. Just say no. A couple things before I sign off on here. I'm pretty tired. But I have some cool things coming down the pipe here. November the 18th. Hamilton, Ontario. I will be in Hamilton. I'm going to be in Hamilton sharing my story, collabing with Innovate Hockey. I want to get a picture up here. I wasn't prepared for this. What else is new? See if we can find it. 3 p.m. Hamilton. This is an open event, by the way. A lot of the events that I've done have not been open to the public. This one is open to the public. $5 per person, $20 per family, $100 per team. Part of the proceeds are going to be going to, I'm trying to read that, the Hamilton Minor Hockey Fund. I wanted to get it right. I know what they're doing. They're doing something pretty cool. They're starting a fund down in Hamilton that's going to be put aside to help players struggling with mental health. And as part of that, addiction and, and substance misuse plays a part in that because guess what? That's part of mental health. So very cool. And I'm honored to be going down there and speaking and to help get this Hamilton fun going. I love that. I love that. My guy, Jamie, shout out to Jamie, setting it up. What else we got coming down the pipe? Oh, November the 11th. It is Remembrance Day. Very important day to honor and remember all those who fought for our freedoms, including my great grandpa, It's also a day that we can help support our troops, our veterans, and our first responders. We have teamed up with Wounded Warriors Canada. It's a great organization that does just that. Helps support veterans and first responders with mental health issues. And on November the 11th at Edges of Muskoka in Bracebridge, we need some volunteers. Stay tuned tomorrow. We're going to have more information. If you're listening to this, you can already find it. Click, click the link in my bio on my social media. Tomorrow, more information coming out for our volunteers. But check this out. The starting lineup. Look at that. We got... Coach Jeremy from How To Hockey coming. Aiden Dale, Kendra Fisher. Guess who else is coming? That's what all the people are coming for. My guy, Coach Chippy, going to be in the house. Become very good friends with uh, Coach Chippy and Coach Jeremy playing on their men's league team. 
currently serving a five-game suspension for fighting. I don't want to talk about it. Maybe I do. I got jumped. It was actually in just pure defense mode. Dangled the guy, got cross-checked into the goalie. Then he jumped me. Found out the hard way. I actually went in the dressing room after and yelled at him, told him to grow up. He was some young kid. I was pretty mad. I was like, man, you, you don't got to do that. But guess what? I was that young kid that probably would have done that back in the day. We ended up hugging it out after, but I'm serving a five-game sussy. So I hope to see everybody on November the 11th. We are going to be shooting 24 hours. Shooting for 24 hours. I can't even talk right now. I'm so tired. I'm going to turn this music off. It's distracting. Good fade. Good fade. You get fined in a hockey dressing room if you don't fade in and fade out the right way. Hopefully there was no pickup on that. But November the 11th at Edges of Muskoka and Bracebridge, it's an open event teaming up with wounded warriors to raise money and awareness for their cause. And it's a 24-hour-long event, shoot-a-thon, where somebody is going to be shooting for 24 hours, not the same person. We hope everybody can come out and take part, get your shots in. I think it'll be 10 or 15-minute time blocks, depending on the time of day. But Coach Chippy, Coach Jeremy, Aiden Dale, Kendra Fisher, myself, and others... I know Harmson, John Harmson from Harmson Hockey, he's going to be in the house. Uh, the, the reps from True Temper Hockey, I believe they're going to be there. That's not confirmed, but like 90% sure that they're going to be there. So that's awesome. Thank you to those guys. They've been a huge support of this show and myself, both on and off the ice for the last almost three years. Edges of Muskoka. The only skate shop to visit if you're ever in Muskoka. And if you want to come see me for some private lessons, Wednesday nights, Edges of Muskoka. But do me a favor. If you can make it on November the 11th, come out, support a great cause, get involved. If you have some time and you want to volunteer, we need some volunteers. And I mean, we only got two weeks to really make this happen. So it's crunch time. If you're feeling called to help and you know how to put together an event, let's go. Come to Muskoka. It's going to be a great event. I already know it. I can't wait to see everybody there. We're going to be back next Monday night. And I got some really cool guests lined up. My life has changed a little bit. My teeth are starting to whistle because they're not fitting properly. That's changed. But also, my, can, my network, if you will, has grown exponentially. And uh, got some really cool guests coming down the pipe. And I got some really amazing news to share with everybody. I'm going to keep my lips sealed for now, at least until the filming portion of it and stuff is done. But very, very excited. I hit my knees actually and cried. I cried right away, but I, I took some time where I just hit my knees and you just look up and, and you, you find gratitude and it's, it's hard to do it in, in the tough moments. But I'll tell you what, in that moment, I, when I got the news that I'm going to share in the coming weeks, maybe a month, I literally hit my knees 
almost in disbelief. If you're out there and you're struggling, let me tell you, I know what it feels like to feel hopeless. I know what it's like to have pretty severe mental illness and feel like I can't tell anybody. And if people know what I'm really feeling, they'll probably lock me away. They'll run away from me. All the things. I get it. I know what it's like to just want to stop drinking or using drugs, but that urge is just too strong. And maybe I'll stop tomorrow and tomorrow never comes because when your eyes open the next day, it's calling again, it's calling again, and I can't stop, I can't stop. That's where I used to live. And I never thought I was going to get out of it. I did not mean to press the horn. But I did. And am I out of it? I don't know. I don't know if I'm out of it. In this moment, I'm out of it, and that's all that matters. I haven't used for almost four years... There's been other, I don't want to say relapse, but like mental health relapses where I've thought that I'm not going to have to deal with those emotions, those feelings ever again. Things are going pretty good. Then all of a sudden, boom, comes on strong and it can get dark. It never really goes away. but it does get better. I need you to just stay, just stay. Under any and all circumstances, just stay here. You are not alone. I know what it feels like to feel like you're alone. Even when you're surrounded with a room full of people, I know what it feels like to feel alone, but I guarantee you that there's people in this world who have gone through or are going through something very similar. They're feeling almost exactly or exactly how you're feeling in this moment. You're a lot stronger than you could ever imagine. If you're watching or you're listening to this, I'm reminding you that you are a lot stronger you could ever imagine if somewhere deep down inside of you you feel like you know that you need some help maybe you're so tired you're exhausted you can't keep fighting this battle alone anymore do yourself a favor most important person is yourself you do it for you and when you do it for you, then you can do it for other people. I don't have the answers here. I don't know what direction you need to go. I don't know who you need to call. I'm not exactly certain what kind of help you may need. What I can tell you is that there's no shame in asking. And if at first you don't succeed or you don't find help or you don't like what you find, Keep seeking, keep searching, dig deep, fight for your life. You are worth it. Just stay.
I'm grateful to everybody who's ever watched or listened to this show, even if it's just tonight for the first time. Thank you. This show right here is what started my new life. My new life started when I was able to get vulnerable, when I was able to ask for help. And there's still times when I need to do a better job at that. I can admit that. But almost four years ago, I just broke down. I was tired. I had enough. But I had this little bit of hope in my heart. Little bit of hope in my heart. It was just enough to keep going. You have hope in your heart. If you're breathing, you're watching this, you have hope in your heart. Find it, hold on to it, even if it's just the smallest little amount. Do not give up. Before I sign off on the night, I want to say once again, thank you, but I'll just get to a couple of comments. Tammy Schultz in the house. Tammy, been around since virtually day one. Thank you. Michelle Alt, big supporter of myself and Puck Support. Thank you. Love you lots. Nancy Lazinski. If you've been watching or listening to this show from day one, you'll know that the story of her late son, Matthew, former Sue Greyhound, second round pick of the OHL, sadly passed away by overdose in 2017. He was the first hockey player that I ever heard passed away of fentanyl and was really the driving force in keeping me going and pushing me to carry the message so that others didn't have to fight alone and feel like they're alone. So thank you, Nancy and Peter Luzinski for their unwavering support. Jackson Cook in the house, that's Susan's grandson. Nice to see him here. What's up, Jax? Sure your grandma would be happy to know you're watching as well. Said, hey, Brady, it's Jackson Cook. I miss you, man. Well, we miss you over here too, buddy. Let me tell you. Got to get you on the ice soon. Tell Lachlan. Everyone over here says hi as well. Matthew Meanser, all the way down there in Ushuaia, Argentina. Longtime listener and former guest. Thanks for stopping in. Here's one for Stephen Alexi. So it sounds like you were a great teammate, Stephen, the kind of guy that could communicate on a different level with most. That's awesome. And yeah, that's such a great point. Incredible human. Kyle Harris in the house. What's up, man? Jackie Harner. I see quite a few messages, comments. Don't worry about spamming. If you feel called to type something in this chat, type away. Don't ever apologize. I see you. I didn't get a chance to read them all, but I see you. And uh, don't ever apologize. That's what this show is all about. Thank you for watching and, uh, and being a part of it, Jackie. Uh, where did that go? Okay. Dean Smeal in the house. My guy, Dean. Jesse Tucker. What's up, man? 
Blair Buckman up there in North Bay, my North Bay family slash billets. Done a done an episode or two from their house. Great people. Love you guys. I think that's it. Luke Boucher in the house too. Great to see him here. What's up, Luke? Anyways, guys, we'll be back next Monday night, same time. I like to say same, same bat time, same bat channel. If you know, you know, Adam West, Batman, best show ever. We hope to see you all on November the 11th up here in Muskoka. It's a great, great place to come visit. Mind you, it's not the best time of year. It's the best people. Come see myself, Coach Chippy, Coach Jeremy, Kendra Fisher, Aiden Dale, and many, many more. Come be a part of a great event, and it's for an even better cause. Until next time, be kind. Lead with kindness. Lead with kindness. Puck support. PuckSupport.com Help strike up some really important conversations in your community by wearing Puck Support. PuckSupport.com We'll talk more about Puck Support and kind of where we're at with everything on the next episode. Maybe we'll just maybe we'll just come on here and wing it next week. I don't know. We'll see. Lots to update people on. But until then, as always, thank you to Stephen Alexi. Have a great day. If you so choose. of hell criminal fentanyl I struggled I fell abused confused as a shadow of who I once was can't sleep rest this week don't go night a remedy if you get my life here back on I'm like Wayne Gretzky And now I'm toe-tech and homeless on Hastings Intervenous drugs weren't in the gang notes The wrong kind of how to ride the lightning Psych won't ignore it, hot and frightened Hockey to hell and back was my recovery road Talking, ignite the chain that will give me this real for the soul is born.
changes from my former convictions. 